The time has come, it seems to me, to recognize that the framework, the framework in which we operate weighs on us too heavily to be born and is about to kill us. It is time to ask very hard questions and take very rude positions at no matter what price. It is time, for example, for one example, to recognize that the major effort of our country until today, and I'm talking about Washington all the way down to whoever heads the Women's Temperance Union, is not to change a situation, but to seem to have done it. I want to start this episode by reading a statement that I wrote on the current events and uh, the protesting that's been happening in the last week, and then we'll get started. Let's be clear. The police brutality we have witnessed over the past weeks is not new or unordinary. However, what is new is a breakdown of what true activism and solidarity looks like. For those of you protesting, I thank you. But understand that protesting in itself is not enough. The picture of racism in America is similar to a magic eye painting. Some see it right away, others only after practice, and still there's more whom racism remains hidden behind distorted nationalist and political static. Not only is it our job as artists to increase visibility, but to reform our own habits in the face of injustice. It is time for those who call ourselves progressive to hold ourselves to a higher standard. It is time for those of us who call ourselves liberals to call on our institutions to diversify at the highest levels. It is time for those of us who call ourselves Democrats to hold our leaders to the same standard of our own moral compass. It is time for those who call ourselves allies to not only take to the streets, but to use our passion to peacefully educate our family members on the other side. It's time for those who call themselves human to dig deep within our frailty and conquer our own self-consciousness. It's time to stand on the side of humanity in the face of nationalism, not just to preserve our collective morality, but to protect the very existence of those who are so often dismissed or overlooked in our own backyard. Now is not the time for debate. It is time for change. I call on leaders in our community to instead of posting hashtag Black Lives Matter on their social media in solidarity, to instead post a list of the changes they will make in their institutions to de-escalate black trauma and promote the well-being of black lives. It is time to elevate the dialogue beyond the civil rights tropes of the past so we can meet this moment today. Welcome to Radical Listening. I'm your host, Bill Johnson. And I'm your co-host, Clifton Holtznagel. Today on the podcast, we had James Dixon and Darian Jones, two local artists and activists from the Portland community, um, and it was really wonderful to talk to them uh, about the very timely issue of the Black Lives Matter movement and um, equality in general here in Portland. Right. We, um, we, we talk about how to be an ally. Um, we break down the White Ally Toolkit, and we... Uh, connect everything to the Stonewall Rebellion, which, for those of you who don't know, was the beginning of uh, the Pride movement. And so yes. we, we make a lot of connections between what's happening right now, and especially because it's Pride Month, and um, what happened then. And um, yeah, it's it's a really powerful episode. Yeah, and the, and the need for intersectionality within the growing movement for equality. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it was... Really, really wonderful to get to talk about 
this stuff with people who think about it and are, are, are used to talking about it. And it was, it was really wonderful of them to share their valuable knowledge on the situation because um, they are experts on a lot of these subjects. Um, so, yeah, that was great. And it was also wonderful to be able to talk about what's going on right now um, since we are all having a lot of feelings and we're all um, learning how we can use our voices to, um, to promote equality. And uh, so it was, it's just really wonderful to be able to talk about ideas and talk them out so that we can understand what we truly believe. Right, right. Um, this also is a kind of resource-heavy podcast, so I recommend um, maybe taking notes, writing some of these things down, um, if you want to look into them further, lots of lots of good books, uh, speakers, and, and, and resources to uh, look into. Because if you want to be an ally, you got to know the information. And um, it's up to you to learn that information, and the resources are there. Um, so the, the, if you want to be able to use your voice, you have to know, you have to do your research. And it's the easiest thing you can do is just read. Um, you can't use your voice until you have done the research. And doing the research and hearing people's opinions and building your own point of view will allow you to use your voice um, and make you feel comfortable using your voice. For me, I felt like I haven't had a strong opinion um, before. And now this movement has helped me to really think about what it is that I believe. And now I feel more comfortable using my voice to help others understand the severity of the situation. Well, yeah. let's get into it. This is the episode with James Dixon and Darian Jones. Today on the show, we have James Dixon and Darian Jones. How are you doing, James? I'm doing great on this lovely Sunday. I'm, I'm freshly, I did took the dog for a walk today. And we're having, it's beautiful out. It's really nice. It feels like a really nice day. So, yeah. How about you, Darian? You know, um, I'm doing as best as I can in the world right now. I would say... Uh, in those terms, day was excellent, um, and you know it's uh, still another day. Philip, what's going on with your life? <laughs> you know we're uh, organized and mobilized, and uh, just preparing for the future—the future of America and um, the future of Portland. <laughs> Things have definitely changed since the last episode. That's for sure. Um, our last episode was recorded before the protests really took off like they have, and that's become such a big thing that um, we've got to be able to talk about it, and um, we've got to be able to use this platform to uh, spread the messages, and because there's so many ideas surrounding how people are feeling about what's happening, um, I think it's important to get as many voices out there as possible. It's so interesting from the pandemic to... I mean, I think we were talking about the impeachment and then Kobe died and then, then the pandemic yeah. and now the, it's just, there's the, the word urgency is such a, a, a forefront word for me in the, right now. It's how quickly things are happening and how we're adjusting in real time. It's, um, it's, it's traumatic on many levels. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It seems when like the stakes have never been higher. Um, and and it, what's really funny to see on the internet is people who are kind of like wrestling with this idea of this time being different. So, so you know, there are people who are like, is this time different? And then there are other people who are like, this time actually feels very different than before. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, I've never seen so many white folks 
go yeah. out every day in support of black lives, right? Like I've mm -hmm. seen people go out, I've seen people make Facebook posts and comments, but I've not really seen, you know, people consistent in that wave and in that effort. And I would say this in my lifetime, this is the first time. And I think yeah. there's also a lot of conditions that allow for that too, right? You know, I, I had uh, someone send me a, uh, a message around how, you know, they're stuck inside all day, they're unemployed. Um, they don't have, you know, like um, the worst conditions in a sense, but you know, they don't have much to do. They support racial justice, let's go out and do it. And I think it's yeah. an interesting thing that that's when people are finally moving towards um, the world that we wanna see. So why don't you explain to our listeners what exactly you do in our community um, and what you have been doing over the past uh, couple of weeks during this time? Yeah, um, so I work currently at um, Myra Memorial Trust, which is a private foundation in Oregon um, focused on equity and you know areas that Oregonians see crucial to a more equitable and prosperous state, which you know is education, the environment, housing and building stronger communities. My role is specifically in the communications um, kind of role and sector and I um, was the social media specialist um, for Meyer. I'm now the communications and um, engagement specialist and so that looks like really creating systems um, to communicate like I support our website, um, different staff members online and understanding digital and um, kind of right now as an organization, we've really been look, looking at how we're responding in this time and in this need. Um, we recently put out a few messages from our CEO, um, just really talking about now is the time, like an opt-ed, now is the time for change. Um, there's a recent blog on our website about it as well. And um, we've also, you know, as someone who's really led the foundation's digital media strategy for the past five years, this is the first time that we've been really inspired to just say what's right and communicate directly. Um, we last week shared a, a Twitter thread that was a, like about 25 tweets, really talking about people getting diversity wrong. Um, mm -hmm. our, our, our board chair, Toya Thick, who is also the executive director of Stanford Children, which is, focuses on um, education equity for students in Oregon, wrote an amazing op-ed about diversity, right, and having a diversified teacher workforce. But <laughs> people comment like, you know, diversity equals elimination of all white people. That's not true, right? That's, we all know that's not true. Um, you know, diversity provides representation and different ide differing ideas which get to better outcomes. And yeah. it's a really long Twitter thread, and I, you know, hope everyone like takes, check, takes a peek at it because we normally don't say, um, you know, diversity does not equal elimination of white people. Like we don't really respond in that direct way um, mm -hmm. with gifts and people missing the mark. Um, but we've received over 200 retweets in the thread, which is kind of significant for us as a, as a regional foundation. Um, and knowing that now is the time to speak up and move forward. Um, prior to Meyer, I led work at um, PFLAG, which was PFLAG Portland Black Chapter, which is an LGBTQ black organization. I've also um, worked at Basic Rice Oregon, um, and I did have a radio show on KBOO called um, Cutie Pock Talk for a few years. And um, cool. thanks. And I've been out in the, I've been in the front line, so I know folks out there, and I know the, that this is the time, and, and you know we got to make the change happen. Um, 
And I'm just doing what I can from my role if that looks like, you know, putting community members who look like people who live in the community on, you know, on our website and in our communications, right? Um, yeah. You mm -hmm. know, there there's ways to do things and make that change and, and change the dialogue as well. So um, that's kind of what I end up doing. I have been saying for a long time that the thing that needs to happen is we need diversity at higher levels. And as a person who works in a, a kind of theater institution, um, who is a black man, um, I've noticed there's a lot of black people who work in, let's just say theater, but they work on one side of it. You know, they work on the stage. And so the moment that I started getting into the creative room, I noticed that there was very few people who looked like me. And so on a micro level, it's interesting because then I become the voice of how we are depicted in theater. But Absolutely. then I can imagine on a macro level in our society how there's so few black people or people of color in these rooms that decide how black people are treated, depicted, and promoted in our society. And this is a moment where we have to, we have to fight for our voice, not just to be represented visibly, but to be represented in those boardrooms behind the scenes. I've heard the statistics. I, I can't. I don't know them off the top of my head. But if you get to those upper levels, the drop off percentage wise of people of color in those positions as you go up is like, like an exponential like drop off. You know what I mean? Once you get to the top, it's such a small percentage, and every level up, it just drops percentage. And I um, think Forbes released a a report a few years ago about that. And I think it was like twenty seventeen that just shows mm -hmm. the diversity of. Boards, not just philanthropic, but government boards and just city boards. And it's interesting because I think there's some retention issue, right? Support issues. Um, sorry to cut you all off, but I, I just want to echo. Yeah, absolutely. And Well, up until this time, especially from the art standpoint, I, I feel the term diversity has become a marketing tool on so many levels. And I think that's what's been really... Um, making me a little neurotic lately is that a lot of people are wanting to jump into action and you know with black lives matter signs and that's completely fine but there's diversity means nothing without equity and so you know once you have people showing up i'm one of those folks that ends up on boards of directors and then i give i'll give anything 12 months 12 to 24 months and then and then i'm done you know if it doesn't feel like we're moving in an upward direction and uh i feel like a lot of times these organizations want us in the room but they haven't done the work, you know, mm -hmm. like if you're going to invite me over for dinner, at least clean up the house a little bit so we can, so we can break bread together. So um, that's something I've really been focusing on a lot more lately with arts organizations in particular, actually any organization, just do your work, do your homework, be critical of your, the work that you do. If you really care, like what, what work are we willing to do on ourselves? Because these protests happened in the sixties and here we are yet again yeah. doing this all over again. So yeah yeah i think yeah there's something about this moment too that is like and maybe this is a little off topic but it was something we were speaking to with like does this feel like it's a mo mo movement that's going to keep going i think it, i mean it's a continuation of a movement that's been going on people have been in the streets in portland for the last four years pretty consistently i feel like you know what i mean not not every day but it's it's become more and more of a common thing and it i think it's it's better like i think it's more hopeful to look at it in terms of this is it's a movement that just continues to gain momentum because now if you have ten thousand people in the streets every day it's going to do something um, it's undeniable yeah. right now i mean the entire world 
is in the streets right now mm-hmm. in support of Black Lives Matter, which is essentially an American black movement. Now, I know that there are black people all over the world, and especially in the UK, Black Lives Matter resonates, you know, pretty equally. But the fact that you have people in predominantly white countries getting into the streets because they can see what's happening in America is is powerful. And I, I would also say that it, I've been having really, really great conversations, especially with other white people at the protests about why you're down there. Because especially as like if you're down there later and later and the cops get more aggressive, you got to know why you're down there. Otherwise, you know, you got to leave because like, you know, um, yeah, it's it's. And so I've been talking, you know, you know, talking with other white people like, so why are you here? Why? You know, like what what are we here for? You know, and um, learning how to talk about it is big. I love that photograph of, you know, the photo of everyone on the bridge. And I'm like, well, at least you can get up, you know, like you can get up from that, like understand the gravity, what it means to like being be able to get off the ground. I personally wouldn't do it because I just, you know, I've, I've been to protests before. I'm still young, but I just turned 40. I don't have it. I don't have it in me to be out there. I'm really happy that folks are, you know, this, this movement has been going on for so long, but there's also this awakening that's happening. Yes. And yes. this awakening requires some patience on, on a lot of people's ends, even woke white folks. I personally just don't have it in me to educate a lot of folks right now. Um, outside of educating the people that are actually mobilizing our communities well and it speaks to the moment that we're in and and this is another reason why people are saying this moment feels different as some of the most powerful images that have come from this movement have been these images of white people literally standing in front of black people or putting their bodies in front of black bodies and protecting them and in a way there's a symbolism with this movement, where, especially in Portland, and it's always been this way. I've been active in Hands Up PDX for about four or five years now, and I've done a lot of these marches, and one thing that I've always known about the marches is that you go down there and it's predominantly white, and I understand that that's because we live in a city that is a predominantly white city, but in this moment right now, we have an entire movement that is predominantly white that is in the name of Black Lives Matter. And mm-hmm. I think that that is kind of a bigger way of white people putting themselves in the way and creating a barricade between the police and black bodies. And, and you know, it's funny, is, uh, and it's, it's, still, it's still this way. I saw a video the other day of someone saying that this happened at one of these protests where, you know, the, the blacks and the uh, police officers were getting really close and they were starting to, uh, it was starting to escalate. And... Then all of a sudden, the white allies got in front of the black people and kind of like created that barricade. And then the police actually calmed down. And so think about that. Yeah. At, uh, last night at the Justice Center, there was a woman on a megaphone who was, you know, she was giving some, you know, instruction that was like much needed from the last few nights because it's so chaotic down there. But she was uh, a woman of color, and she was out there yelling, and she was saying, like, white bodies to the outsides, to the front, they are less likely to shoot you if you are white. Move your bodies to the outside. Protect black lives. It was, like, very much impressing that point, and it, and it made a lot of sense. And it, last night was – it took a long time before the police did anything. And because we had someone up there taking leadership um, – 
it was there was a lot less stuff being thrown and it was much more it was much more clear that it was like police aggression you know what i mean it became much more clear and it, it's really true when you're able to maintain that nonviolence. um it's so much stronger um well they need yeah, I, yeah. I think they should have more i mean they i mean the the, the protest leadership is out i mean we, what leadership there is it's not like this whole thing is led by one or two people there's like conclaves right, right. and they're actually trying to i i am noticing that the they're becoming more organized, but you know, throughout this awakening, for those of us that have never protested before, I'm like, you can't just be out there moaning black light, like, yeah, mm-hmm. like, like you're you're in harm's way. There was this one woman. She's like, I, I think I understand what this feels like. So like, I feel, I, I, I feel like I'm under attack, and I'm like, yeah, and you opted into being here. You know, it's mm-hmm. there's nothing more funny than dating. I mean, I, you know, I've had white partners and then I get pulled over and it's a noticeable. It's like this was a lot more aggressive than I'm used to. And I'm like, that's how it is when they see us. It becomes it's just it's, it's, it's you know, it's just it's unfortunate. I don't want to be out there. I don't want to because I'm a, I feel like I'm a target, especially in a predominantly white city. Yeah. And that's the way I feel. And, and uh, that's the conversation I've been having with a lot of um of progressive black people lately is first of all there is a true passing of the torch i think this this younger generation of black civil rights leaders and uh, especially black women i've seen in this role mm-hmm. are doing a phenomenal job they have the training they've been doing this for several years now they've got the energy because they're young and i i think this is their moment and they're really living up to this moment and um and on the other side of that, it's it's going back to what I was saying earlier and what you're saying, which is that a lot of black people are tired of being the ones who have to put themselves out there and 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 scream for their rights. And they feel like it is the time for um, the the younger civil rights leaders and the white allies to take this movement to the next level. Yeah, I, I remember I saw a video clip the other day and I think it was uh, I think it was in Minneapolis and this guy was yelling at this older black gentleman and just pretty much saying we've got to do something different like you know like you know they're about to go tear some shit up and this guy's like in his in his 60s and mm-hmm. this guy's in his 30s the guy other kids like 16 and they said i got a five-year-old son at home like like you've been out here bro for what decades and i'm out here again you know like it's it's it keeps yeah. repeat like mm-hmm. what are we doing differently this time um, and I love that there's so many more black women becoming more being put on the forefront of this of this movement because that didn't happen with the Black Panther movement. There were some strong mm-hmm. black women, uh, you know, during that movement. But now, you know, they're not just at home taking care of babies. Their their kids are in this this whole this whole cycle. This lineage is real. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just worry. I just worry. Like when it comes to allyship, I think about the Stonewall movement. And how many trans women of color? There's always this ongoing debate on who started what, and I, and I don't like to get into that. But I do know that there were a lot of trans folks, brown, brown and black trans folks, on the forefront. Um, and then all of a sudden, they're still at a higher risk even now uh, no. than they were then. So, like, what what are we doing differently? How are we if, as we're moving forward and being allies? We can't we can't forget to keep those voices prominent. So we're actually making sure we're, you know, not co-opting a movement for, for some reason, you know? Right. And how timely, you know, as we kind of like are in the shadow of the Stonewall rebellion and we're in pride month as we speak to be in the streets. Cause we know that it's it, the police brutality is not just a black issue. It's an issue that affects the LGBT community and it's an issue 
that we have been fighting for for 50 years, you know? Like, we've been in the streets, you know? And I also just wanted to point out how originally the, Stone, the Stonewall Rebellion was seen as a riot, and now we celebrate it as, as pride. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, all these people out here talking about the rioting and all this, it's like, just check to make sure you're on the right side of history. Well, the gays are doing it too. It's just like, you know, I, you know, yeah. we work in the arts. He's more social justice nonprofit. I'm, uh, and we're both connected to the queer community. And there's a whole slew of like, well, we didn't, why Stonewall wasn't a riot. I was like, I was like, Queen, it was a riot. We were breaking shit, you know, like, yeah. you know, like on top of that, you know, I, I brought up the pulse shootings. Like when the, the pulse shootings happened, they had white officers walking through the bars armed in uniform. And then, yeah. you know, the black queens are saying something and they're like, oh, you need to be, they're here to protect us. So I was like, I'm a black man first and foremost. Like it, I never, I stopped it engaging with pride. So these, <clears throat> in the, in the midst of all these movements that are happening right now, the, the queer community is also saying pride Northwest released a statement talking about, they want to be more critical of their work. And I'll be honest, they have a lot of work to do. A lot of nonprofits do. Mm-hmm. So not just outside of what's happening to black America at abroad, you know, you know, there's not a lot of support for the black queer community, even from the heteronormative black community. So we're trying to mm-hmm. figure out how to get, you know, how to keep keep it keep an upward momentum for all black and brown bodies as much as yes. we can. Uh, it's yeah. just so complicated right now, you know. Exactly. I've been seeing an encouraging number of signs for Black Trans Lives Matter, and you hear that chant go up a, like a good bit, which is which is nice, which is very encouraging to hear. But I know it, you know, it needs to go much deeper than that. But um, it's it's definitely present in the movement right now. And I think, you know, it's a big part of the movements, you know, kind of like where I think we're honing in on. It's just knowing the history of the movements and knowing the purpose of it and why it happened. I, yeah. I remember seeing some folks going ham on uh, Martin Luther King Jr. the third about, you know, him just referencing his father and being like, you know, uh, I don't know if how many white folks know this, but half Dr. King was like the most hated man in America. Like FBI was trying to kill him, you know, and he was assassinated, right? So let's not pretend that he was everybody's friend. You know, there are black folks who are definitely who were on the different side of history, right? And I know an activist who has led the Black Lives Movement and talked to me about it. It was like, yeah, my grandma told me this, and that is a side of history she never wanted to be on. And so, you know, I've been rereading the letter from Birmingham jail by Dr. King, and it's literally talking about this, you know, the demonstrations that are going on in Birmingham and how people did not pay attention to the conditions that created those demonstrations. And, it, you know, he literally has a line that's like, it's unfortunate that the city's white power structure left the Negro community with no alternative, right, to say Black Lives Matter, right? Like, you should just know. And so I think... So many people just don't know the history of the movements, and we do end up repeating ourselves. And I definitely think it's time for new voices to be at the front. And, you know, for me, the biggest thing is trying to hold these elected officials accountable for the things they say they're going to do. You have a mayor and police commissioner who does not control the police in front of folks, you know, and the change that I think is required is really bold and it's going to take a lot from Portland to get there. And I think, you know, allies really do need to step up. And some of the things I've been doing is trying to share resources with people. Like, have you read White Fragility? 
I've sent three White Fragility audiobooks in the past week, more than I've sent the whole year, um, to folks, you know, and it's just, I don't know, I don't understand um, the barriers to learning for folks and the resistance that we're kind of seeing all the time. I think it has a lot to do with people not knowing their history, like you were saying. I think that there are a lot of people, like, for instance, when you talk, like, it's as simple as what we were just saying, where you talk to most people, they don't know how Martin Luther King was perceived in his time. They just don't know that. They can only understand it from the point of view of how they feel about him right now. Same thing mm-hmm. about the, um, the Stonewall Rebellion. They don't know how those people were being perceived in that time. They don't know that people were demonizing them and, call it, and calling it a riot. And, you know, it, they, they don't know that. They only know the Pride Festival now and, uh, you know, and um, equal rights and all that kind of stuff. And, and it kind of creates a, an almost empty definition of equal rights. Because you only understand it from the point of view of your, like your contemporary understanding, so you don't you don't understand the history and why people had to fight to get here, and so that's the biggest thing is that people need to go back and they need to start reading more, and they need to understand the history of how we got to this moment and how this is just one point on a long series of points of a movement that's moving towards a, a direction. Mm. I just get so frustrated because, like, I think a lot of I've I've experienced an array of emotions I can't even like, and I'm pretty emotionally mature, and I experienced things the past week and two weeks I can't even explain, and a lot of it is just like now everybody wants to, and I'm glad this is happening now that this is the tipping point of of hopefully, I it's just like now is the time, and now is the time we have to educate more folks, and now you're telling me that you get it, and ne- like. Because a lot of us in positions like myself and Darian, like I, we, I mean, I have to speak the, I got to walk a certain way to get myself in the room. I can't, I can't speak up too much. I can't get angry. I can't yell. I can't, you know, like it's, 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 I think it's just really frustrating. You know, I just want, I I just want people to like, I, I, I'm glad it's happening, but like, um, it, I feel as though I'm being forced to educate people more now. Like, I don't, I don't like, I don't have a choice. Um, I mean, I always have a choice, but like, uh, there's just so much of it happening right now that there's enough for there's enough for everybody to get their hands dirty right now, um, and not just about Black Lives. I mean, like, I challenge people to at least go on the internet and think and just just do a basic Google search to find out how many trans women of color have been killed since January. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people really really think uh, like while, while we're yeah. while we're on the topic. No one's no one's doing signal boost about you know there's a trans woman that's just killed in the past couple of days like like you know like nobody it, it, they're forgotten and swept under the rug not just by the cishet community but by the queer community as well that's a bigger larger problem it's not just about black lives it's about it's about trans lives it's about seeing people as equals and really thinking about it from an intersectional perspective without losing sight of the fact that it's not it's not the oppression Olympics. There's room for everybody's pain. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's that's why I say everyone in our backyard who um, has been marginalized because we 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 say, oh, it's equal because there is a black man who became president. You know, it's equal because there are black people who are successful. But you don't think about the people who you're marginalizing. I mean, I would include the houseless Mm -hmm. community in this group. I would say that we tend to overlook communities that make us uncomfortable and you know 
it, it really does come to education because when we have little education about something, we tend to feel more uncomfortable about it. And we tend to kind of distance ourselves from it. And so we're at this point now where these communities, and in, in some ways, we're talking about the real silent majority. We're talking about the, the people who've been voiceless for so long who are, waiting, who are waiting on a moment to say, you know what, I'm tired of you stepping over me. I'm tired of you walking on the other side of the street when you see me. It's time. I mean, I think you're really on to something right there where it's like, again, with that history and really focusing on the things that make people uncomfortable. And I think, you know, the most marginalized and silenced group in America is the native and indigenous community. Right. You know, this country was founded on the doctrine of discovery, which was an idea that when you get off a boat and you don't see nobody, it's yours, you know, because everybody else who might be there doesn't have a value. And, you know, I think white folks especially have not grappled with that. Right. That original sin that when how America was founded and then, you know, then they stole people from their homes and brought them here as slaves. So I think until there's a reckoning with the native community where white folks, because like people see native people and they're like, every white person is like, I know we, we, we made some problems, right? Like I know like white folks fucked up just to be quite frank with that, you know? And um, I think until there's some kind of reckoning with that. And it's like amazing that this year is the first time there's funding for um, programs specifically for native history, you know, where it shows what happened when, Christopher Columbus came and stole land from communities and assaulted people versus when things were discovered, like the, the narratives that we've been told. And so, you know, I think um, really that's one of the things that is a really clear example of how what you're saying where folks don't like to talk about things that make them uncomfortable. Like, you know, sovereign nations have um, treaty rights and fishing and hunting and gathering rights, but people don't know what they are because we don't inform the public. It's kind of, you know, there's don't litter signs. Like, people know not to litter in certain spaces, but they don't know what, you know... Don't be a racist. <laughs> like, don't be a racist, right? <laughs> like, that's signs? not, like, hey, don't be racist, right? But what we do have is, like, Negroes only, right? Like, those are the signs people saw for years, and um, it'd be interesting to see if we were able to kind of reconcile like Germany has, right? Like, they apologize you know they have memorials they try you know nothing's perfect but in america we have monuments to colonizers and yeah. which are being destroyed in these protests bind you i think one of the most beautiful images oh. i saw was one of the uh statues fall in the south i can't remember exactly where but i know the protesters were trying to pull it over and then the mayor oh, said in carolina yeah yeah and the mayor said i'll help you it was Robert E. Lee's uh, uh, statue. I just saw pictures of it last night. Yeah. Yeah, they're tearing oh, that yeah. shit down. They're just Hell like, yeah. it's like, fuck your statues. I'm tearing this fucking shit down. <laughs> I just like, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not a person that gets out there and protests anymore. Cause I'm just like, I, in a white city, I'm at higher risk. I have PTSD. Um, mm -hmm. I have a concealed carry permit. So, you know, you don't need me in the streets with that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not leaving home without protecting myself. And there's Proud Boys amongst protesters. And all I see are white people. I don't know who's who. You know what I mean? <clears throat> but, um, you know, you got to, uh, the way people, the way people choose uh -oh. to liberate themselves is their business. You know, if people got to be free some kind of way, if you're not doing your work, they're going to, it's, it's reactionary. This is what, this is what happens. 
You know what I mean? So what can we do? What can we do with this energy? How can we, what can we all do differently this time? Um, I think those are the questions we have to ask ourselves. I think, and I think that's the biggest thing about the one takeaway I get, I've been giving a lot of other orgs, like do the work, just you, I think, you know, you know, my grandma used to say, it's like, you know, you do people, when people do something wrong, they know it, you know, you done something wrong, you know, it. you can feel it, you know, do the work, especially before you start asking other folks to come, to come over and help you. We want to lift black voices. I understand how amazing that sounds. A lot of times hearing lift black voices sounds like we need to show that we're doing something, uh, which you do. But I want to see you do the all new, your work in-house. I want to see you say, I'm willing to pay someone to come let us be critical of ourselves. So that when we invite people over to the party, they're welcome, they're ready to be received. And I think every business, every organization, every and, and every sector of anything in this whole, including the arts, which we all work in, like everybody needs to be thinking about that right now. And as a white person who sometimes feels like I know a little bit about race relations, all it takes is a Google search to get your mind blown. Like, I mean, I've learned so much in the last few days because I've just been going online and doing the work of typing it into fucking Google. You know what I mean? I, mean, you know I, I Google mean? half the shit I Hello. send people. Like, even if it's wrong. Someone asks you a question, put it in Google, man. Google that <laughs> shit. And we can talk about it. We have to create dialogue with one another. It's okay if we're wrong. Yeah. It's okay if we get it wrong. How do we respond to this? How do we keep we keep seeing each other's as equals and just talk it out? You know what I mean? And I want to uplift that, too. I think big the biggest thing is the lack of dialogue. And folks who are privileged enough to be like, I don't have to talk to you. Right? Because you don't get it. And I remember in 2016, right after the Trump election, I found myself out. This is the last time I really went out in the streets because I was just like, these white folks is crazy. And I ended up, you know, not getting paid for a hour and a half facilitation with a group of white folks on how they shouldn't hate their cousin Tom, who voted for Trump in rural Oregon, how Tom's not a bad person how they should still talk to Tom because Tom doesn't want to talk to me. Tom would like me to be dead, it seems like. So you should maybe talk to Tom for me. Please use your privilege to talk to your cousin Tom. And I think that's the dialogue folks need to really have in holding their family and loved ones who are, you know, not there yet close and, and not cutting people off and treating people like they're disposable, you know? And I think... I just want to uplift what you're saying. The dialogue is definitely a key in really getting towards what we want to see. Yeah. I saw something on Twitter the other day where a white person had some like screenshots of like a Facebook conversation they were having with like their family member. And the family member was very pro-Trump and anti-protest. And um, they, you know, wrote something to the effect of block, deleted, don't have to talk to you again. You know, Black Lives Matter. And I remember thinking in that moment that that is the, the absolute most wrong thing you could do in that situation. What we need right now is we need to be building bridges with these people. Because when you start to burn those bridges, the people who get hurt the worst behind that are the black lives that you say that you want to help. It's, it's when people get more isolated and get into their silos that they come up with the more crazy ideas. They yeah. need dialogue. I'm seeing a lot more of my white friends making posts about family members they're saying goodbye to permanently. So it's yeah. just like, 
Yeah, you know, like people have to keep like you have to keep, stay engaged with folks because I just I, I challenge people to make them them feel uncomfortable where they're at at this point in the game. If you're not willing to t- to call out your racist uncle and aunts, um, I can't I can't fuck with you. I can't like I, I can't like well that's my, it's just he means well what he means well is, is literally literally was killing folks and not just about race. <clears throat> Men can be better about misogyny. Cis Coast folks can be better about trans discussions. It's really all the same, you know, like, like black women, their babies have been sold, imprisoned, killed for how long the country was built on this shit. And these are conversations that we have to have uh, on an ongoing basis. I'm really, it's just such an amazing time to be alive and witnessing this social reform happening in real time. So, and I just want to give permission for racial dialogue to happen in all white spaces. I think there's a lot of times where um, groups feel like they need to have people of color in the room to talk about race. You don't need that as long as you're talking about the history of race relations and systematic oppression in America, and you're basing it on black authors and writers and civil rights leaders and and the actual data that's been that's come out. Because I think part of the problem is that we keep putting people of color in traumatic situations where they're forced to kind of speak on behalf of all of their people or relive their trauma so that white people can understand. And we need to remove that from the equation. I don't think we got into what I do because there's going to be people listening that, that don't okay. know who I am. They, Please. Because we're all well acquainted. So, hello, hello, hi, I'm, I'm James Dixon, I'm a local, I'm an actor, Portland-based actor, director, and uh, equity facilitator. Um, I am also uh, the EDI chair for the Portland Area Theater Alliance. I'm actually terming off this month, but uh, I do EDI what, what, ongoing. What were you saying? What is that? What's EDI? Uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion work. So, um, okay, gotcha. every, everything from, and most of what I do is centered around uh Theater companies that want to have talkbacks, if they want to have an equity-focused uh, talkback, I facilitate that for, for a minimal fee, you know. And then, mm-hmm. uh, fee, pay me, thank you. And yes. then also, as a director, um, I, I actually use that same lens when I direct uh, my shows. I try to direct it from an intersectional equity lens. That way, people seeing our stories on stage can see something that really resonates to them as a community as much as we can, you know, as close as we can get to that. Um, with, with that being said, I, uh, as the EDI chair for PADA, I've, I've been in situations where I've had to talk to theater companies about some practices that are not, that are not favorable to people of color or women or whatever that looks like. And it's, 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 it's exhausting. You know, some of the, you'd be surprised how many folks are doing some problematic work in this town. Who knows now after COVID, if they're still functioning, but, um, I just feel like if people aren't willing to be critical of themselves as organizations, nothing is going to change. Um, and it's the same for the board that I'm working on. I'm there's nothing. I, I love the PADA board. I'm, I'm leaving because there's a lot of um, there's a lot more change that needs to happen. And I, as a person who does this work, I need to take care of myself and take some time off because um, I, I love this work. But everyone on the committee, you can't have one or two people doing EDI checking in with the brown folks or whatever it looks like everyone everybody needs to have this language dialed in or the work's going to be counterproductive so mm-hmm. that's what i'm that's what i'm hoping for that people are trying to dive 
a little bit deeper. Even I am having to work a little bit harder right now, even though I don't really want to, because I'm in a position where I need, I have to keep these wheels greased, so to speak. Um, but I'm empowering other folks to step up and, and, and pay your brown folks when you're talking yeah, to them yeah. about, if you're going to apologize to me, send me a Venmo and ask <laughs> me if I'm ready to have this conversation. And then if you don't know, if you want to talk to me, send me a Venmo anyway. And then, we'll, you know, just so I've got some, and I, I mean that because like, it's exhausting. It's, it's really exhausting. It really is, <clears throat> but necessary. So, yeah, uh, I, I shared with you guys earlier the White Ally Toolkit. And I just wanted to walk through it because I want to talk about possible solutions and, and tips for our um, allies in our audience to help foster better conversations with their family members and, and people who they know are on the other side of this topic. Because I don't, I don't want to just criticize I want to give you some solutions and some and some tips, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. I looked into uh, the different things going on right now, and one of the things that is a tool is the White Ally Toolkit Learning Guide, and this was created by Dr. David Kampt and Matthew Freeman, and um, they have hosted um, in-person panels and discussion within the Portland area. And, uh, well, this is something that was birthed out of blacks and whites coming together to kind of come up with solutions for how to talk and foster better conversation amongst our allies. So the method is the race method, and that's an um, acronym for reflect, ask, connect, and expand. And essentially the idea is that you want to reflect in advance of the conversation. So you want to put yourself in an empathetic listening mode. And step two, you want to ask questions about their experience so you want to inquire about their point of view and why they feel that way and you want to listen to them so that they feel heard so that can lead you to the third step which is to connect to the to the skeptic so make sure you're relating through a personal story or through some sort of um, mutual agreement or ideas that you have so you guys can actually connect you don't want to create division right away you don't want to say this is why we're different right away you want to you want to help people understand why they can listen to a person like you talk to them about something like race and then after that you want to expand their thinking you want to give them things that they haven't heard before you want to give them resources that they haven't seen before and you want to also kind of give them anecdotes about why you feel like you understand that now. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's just some basic ideas and there's a lot more to this that we can discuss, but I just wanted to kind of put that out there as a way in and, and also as a kind of challenge to listeners to start using these types of practices in their dialogue and, and to push them to have more dialogue with um, people who may be on the other side of these issues. I appreciate you sharing this document. Um, I think it's got some really um, innovative ideas to keep people talking. I'm curious about, um, is this like a living document? And You know, I would hope so. I don't know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I definitely would hope so, too. And I'm just curious, like, who is it for? I guess, like, like who is supposed to be 
like like le- presenting it to someone and like how do they understand like is it a white person presenting it to other white folks or i'm just i believe I'm yes just, i believe okay. so let's just continue the conversation what would you offer to allies additionally to help them foster better conversation and yeah, um, i i want to echo what you said in a sense of using their voice is really where i'm leaning i um you know, recently supported a friend who has been out in the protest, leading folks, very new to protesting demonstrations. And, you know, she's ready to use her voice and, um, you know, has supported people and lifting up the chance, ultimately. And she's been in a Twitter group with folks who are other white people. And she was just offering advice, like help, help uplift the voice or help get the chance started. And then folks themselves started attacking her, like white folks shouldn't be leading this. We shouldn't be doing this. We need to uplift the voices of black folks. And I like agree, yes, and you need to do some work. Like you need to be um, uplifting. And so I just wanna empower people to use their voice because I don't think that's something that's on here in that sense where like, I just wanna agree with what you said earlier and giving them permission to do that work because um, you don't need to speak for black people, but you can definitely speak for white folks. And yeah. um, you can say Black Lives Matter. I'm a little weird about the I can't breathe one, um, but definitely we all need to say Black Lives Matter. Um, and I think there needs to be some reading resources on here for folks. Yeah. Well, um, and you know, I think that that's something that, uh, I don't know, eventually I would like to do is uh, compile some reading resources i mean we'll get to that in plugs of like what <laughs> books we want to point people towards there's so many well i think more specifically it looks like this particular document is a is just a scanned photocopy and these are usually handouts so like if you're sending people's home with stuff if just just for the purposes of this document if people are using this yeah. type of document make sure people have something they can take home with them and because the more work people are doing at home is the the better it is for us like people are showing up to protests saying well we want to lift black voices no they should be speaking i'm like if if all the white people that showed up figured out most of that before they showed up to the protest uh, the protest would go a lot smoother so you know i just <laughs> it just uh, i you know there's a lot of learning happening in real time i've been watching these feeds and i'm just like Man, I, I worry about folks. You got to be ready. You ain't ready unless you're ready. Bring your condoms. You know what I mean? Do what you got. You know, bring bring your tools that you need to succeed yeah. so people can get through this safely. It shows where we are right now. We are in the kind of phase one waking up moment. Mm-hmm. So people are looking out their window and they're saying, okay, police brutality is real. Now that people are awakened to that idea, I urge them to take it to the next step and start to research and like we were saying, do the research on the history of uh, mass incarceration, read the language of the 13th mm-hmm. Amendment, you know, just look, look into what has been going on that, you know, funny enough, has been passed through oral tradition in the black community. Absolutely. Well, you know what? Amazon's made it easy. We went on to Amazon Prime the other night and they have like a whole slew of what films the, docs uh and just looking at the and, titles it's all really good stuff and netflix kinda... is doing something similar too so i know people who at home you got everybody got netflix these days or someone's login 
uh, 13th is on there, which is really about the 13th right. Amendment, right? Yeah. You know, it's rewritten. <laughs> like, you know, slavery's still there. It's just not called slavery anymore. Um, also, also the, the library right now, um, if you use their audiobook app, which I do a lot, they've made a lot of, uh, they, they have a good list of books up at the top there and some books that, a lot of their books, um, audiobooks, well, they'll only have a certain number of copies, but um, I just downloaded a couple. I'm trying to, let me just find them again. Um, the Layla Saeed one and um, some others that they just have unlimited copies of right now. That's audiobooks. awesome. So it's um, free, you know, use the library app. They've got a lot of good resources, and it seems like they're trying to. So, have yeah. people heard of YouTube? It's a really <laughs> good that? resource. YouTube. It's a oh, really okay. good resource for learning yeah. and educating. Dot com. It's free. <laughs> Sometimes there's commercials, but. Do you ever think about how a lot of the awakening that's happening is almost directly tied to the internet? You know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This is the time that the most communication, like in my lifetime, you know, yeah. like. I think about people who are, you know, um, James and I were talking to someone the other day who just found out at age 30, they're, they're a person of color and you know, I, Hey, you know, it happens some, somewhere, some people don't have that update. Like you yeah. are not white. And like, I remember when I found out, cause somebody told me when I was a child, they're like, you black. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, you know, like, um, like you're saying the internet, it's, it's hard when you have the facts in front of you to remain complicit in the ignorance. And yeah. it's kind of like the folks who I think I'm not going to get all political, but you know, somebody voted for someone who <laughs> literally had recordings and tapes of the, like the most obscene things ever. And I just want to say if Obama had tapes of him talking about grabbing people and in places, he would have been like, he would have been gone, right? Gone. You know? Um, they would have yeah. switched him out before the election. <laughs> <laughs> what do they do? They bring in Ben Carson? Yeah. They <laughs> 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 he's, had more, he's had more death threats than any other president. Uh-huh. This motherfucker appointed a chief justice, and y'all literally stole the motherfucking position. And then did the shit again under this one. And like, like, it's like, do you? I mean, the inequity is like on paper. You can, you can, you uh, can see it side by side. What happened to the impeachment? That's my question. Where well, is the impeachment? I mean, I think we're in some ways we're kind of discovering well, that the, the Constitution is a bit yeah. useless. You know, like. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Colin Powell was on CNN go. about that today. He's like, you know, it's like, this isn't constitutional. This is not what we, this is not how we roll. Like, what's going on? How many times do you have to say this isn't unconstitutional or this is unprecedented before you realize that the Constitution isn't as watertight as you thought it was? Right. I think people are really, I mean, this is a big moment. Like, uh, I think one of the things that's happening now is the mask is being pulled off of a lot of things. And I think we're starting to realize that, like, we need to change the very, very basic systems of everything. People are like, I mean, I'm really starting to understand now, like, the abolish the police argument, you know? And so many people are waking up to that, you know what I mean? Like, I, I would, it honestly wouldn't have occurred to me that, like, that's an option, you know, two weeks ago. And now I'm like, it seems like the only option. You know, there, there's other ways, there are other, they're, they're not the number one public, you know, they're not for public safety, you know, and, and they started as slave catchers, 
So the best way to understand uh, the way uh, how something it's uh, looking at a system from the outside is how is it built? You know, like police officers were invented to protect white people's shit. Let's just call it what it is. They are the people that would go out and recover runaway slaves and bring them back to their masters. That is literally what they were created for. And this is what this system was built on. Even these black officers that were fired in Atlanta, they're, t- I mean, just because they're black doesn't mean they're not, pro- there's, I mean, they're, those are still racist acts in my opinion, because they, they work within this system. Um, it's just, it's, re- it's, it's, it's crazy, man. Like, you know, that this is happening right now. If you're not going to do, I mean, they don't even do implicit bias training for officers. That should be, oh, yeah. if we're not going to boss the police, that should happen at a bare minimum. That is something that's inexpensive and easy to do. Um, it's just, yeah. it's just, it's just crazy because it's, it's like you see that this is a problem, but it's like, well, we can't abolish the police. It's like, well, what can we do? Because we, tr- we, we, we tried everything else. I don't, I don't believe in people being violent. I, you know, as a, as a first option. But I'm not going to. I'm surprised City Hall didn't burn down. I'm surprised. I was like, there's they some tried. angry white folks out in Portland. <laughs> this is Well, you know what I heard is I heard that the Plowboys were the ones who actually lit City Hall. Oh my mm. god. There's a lot of. I mean, there's so that's the what's crazy is like about that action at the Justice Center every night is like the the the, the information you. That's why you have to know why you're down there because you can't trust anything anyone's telling you unless you know who they are or who they're talking to. And um, there are some good Twitter. Uh, one of my friends who's been down there has been using Twitter a lot. I'm not on Twitter really, but you can find out a lot from some of those uh, people because there are people down there with cameras and like street journalists who will help you with information. But that's one of the hard things because you don't know who people are and you don't know what they're doing. Uh, and I want to uplift yeah. what you're talking about this idea of abolishing the police, which like most people are finally recognizing not needed. Um, right. but, you know, we have school district, all of Portland finally deleted the SROs. I'm like, that's well, right. you need budget cuts and that's a waste of your money. Right. Oh, yeah. um, it's a re- direct result of the protests. And I would love to see the city adopt something like that or some sort of effort to, uh, move funds into, you yes. know, maybe communities who need the money, maybe community, community <laughs> watchmen afford, uh, put those in North Portland, please. So we can watch <laughs> out, you know, but. Uh, let them all be uh, made by the community, right? Yeah. Let's take money out of the police force that if you know isn't working. I want to see pressure put on some of those white tenant council people because yes. I know you know Joanne Hardesty is doing a lot of work, but we need all. to stop talking about Payton Street saying Black Lives Matter. Like we know that, yeah. okay? We yeah. need actually to make it happen, and y'all need yeah. to make decisions. So I would love to see some of these white folks tell their white leaders to do some shit. Cause I'm yep. I'm over it. There's a lot of folks I voted for. I will not be voting for you again, if you do not make change. And I hope people recognize that um, there's a lot of angry white folks, and they're asking for you for change, and you won't be reelected if you don't give them uh-huh. the change. But they have to be willing to um, fall, see that change through. It's just like you know, um, yes. and we see something similar with with how we how we fund the arts. Just like you know. You know, this is the blackest season PCS has ever had. And I know some of those wealthy white donors are just like, well, diversity means white, too. You know, this is too loud. You know, <laughs> I've heard a comment about Hedvig being too loud or, or it's too, you know, like, you know, I was just like, you know, at what point do you decide to if we're going to shift our programming or shift the way we have uh, 
whose voices were centering in the communities and being willing to follow that through and say goodbye to some of that money that people are uh, try, are throwing your direction. Do you do you need? I mean, I know we need funds, but you supporting us financially should not affect our the way we make policy. I mean, it does in the real world, but just thinking about balancing that out and being willing to let go of some of these folks and putting pressure on them because this is what we were talking about earlier. Is like we can't continue to just let these people be uneducated. So even these, like, we have to hold all people to a higher standard. We need to hold our donors, the people who give us our grants to a higher standard. And we need to make sure that they understand that the reason that we do this type of work in this city is not because we want, we want to play to a crowd, but because it's necessary. And, and, this, and this goes to a thought I had earlier where um, it's about intention and inspiration. Where does the inspiration for these works of art that we'd make in our community come from? Does it come from the diversity initiative or does it come from an actual moment of revelation about Black Lives Matter? You know, does it come from the recognition of people who look different from you or act or behave different from you's humanity? Or does it come from a, a want or maybe even a need to pander to those people? And so we have to understand that there's a fine line between those two things, and we need to hold people to a higher standard. We don't want people to make content because they want to expand their audience. We want people to make content because they had a moment of inspiration that came from them doing the research, and they now have a vision that they would like to see made. And so we need to start talking like this within our communities, and we need to go to these, uh, you know, honestly, the, the aristocrats that exist in our community, and we need to make sure that they understand this as well. Because it's very easy for those types of people to just be above it all and not have to talk about it, and they can throw their money and silence people. And they can also be throwing their money behind projects and then not having to change anything about what they're doing. You're like, oh, I did my part by donating to wherever that just did a black show, so... I'm good, you know, like it goes beyond that. And yeah, I think also you were speaking to using like getting people to u white people specifically to use their voices. And I think because I, I know I've experienced this, like if you just like I, I think, you know, and some people are just, you know, starting to speak up. I am more than I have before. And um, there's part there's like this fear that if you just start speaking up people will be like oh you're just starting now like oh like where have you been this whole time and it's like yeah you got to accept that it's like yeah I, I i haven't been loud enough for long enough and um but i'm like here to learn and stay stay in there so i i, I think yeah that's part of it there's a lot of white people who feel like they're in solidarity with the movement but haven't made any like real actions in any way and it's not saying that you have to be down at those protests there's so many ways you can talk to people i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of work that can be done online talking to people there's a lot of people whose minds you can change online N like you, when you see something online you can say something and like have a real conversation with someone you don't have to go off i've had like real conversations with people who are trying to troll me you know what i mean and I'm not used, I don't, I, that's not my favorite way to communicate because you end up like back and forth with someone for so long, but some people are really good at that, you know what I mean? And so that's a way that you can use your voice and in your real life, use your voice as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't I want that. 
I don't want that to deter people. Like, because people say, oh, now you want to talk. I totally get that, you know, because like, you know, I think I had a friend the other night talking about was kind of defending how this is hard. Talking about race is hard. And, you know, you know, so white people need need black folks that are willing to talk to them about this. Stuff. I was like, I was like, OK, well, <laughs> if you're willing to talk to folks, great. But it's not my job. It's not my right. job to teach you. You know, there's Absolutely. a give and take. Like, what is? I just challenge people to think about what their what their goals are. So I'm about solutions, healing, and solutions. I'm in solutions mode right now. Last week I was in healing. Leave me the fuck alone. Like, you know, um, yeah. I think people need to think about that on both sides. You know, when black folks are saying, you know, well now you want to talk. I'm not telling you not to be upset. I can't tell you that. But I just say if we're if social if if social justice is what's important to us and change is important, really think about what you're saying to folks about how we got to keep them in the yeah, conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If now, if I can't do that right now, cause I'm hurting, stay home, you know, like just pull real. I mean, if you can't like, I stay home because I don't want to, I don't have anything nice to say. And then, you know, but that's, that's what, that's what I do for me to make sure that I'm doing the work I got to do. How people engage with that is their business, you know, but, I just I just recommend it because we got to keep talking about this stuff as much as we can. Yeah, and um, I think also just because I've been at, I've been going down there a lot. I've been down five nights in the last week, and it's um for because there's there's kind of I, I think people are really afraid of what's happening at the protests, and a lot of white people are or a lot of people are afraid to go down to the protests because of violence and. I would say if you're white, you really shouldn't be afraid to be at any of the protests. <laughs> when a, real talk, when it gets scary is late night by the Justice Center. So if you want to avoid like the challenging of the police that will result in, you know, police munitions being used, then don't go to the Justice Center too late. Or when they start to, if the police start to tell you to leave, you can make that choice to leave. Um it is another valid choice to go endure that and try to nonviolently resist that um, to, to show what the police are doing. But that's not the only thing that's happening. You can go on those marches that, are, that you hear about and you will be completely fine, especially if you are white. And it'll be so much better if the people who are scared of being out there are out there. Um, because then it'll just be more normal people out there. And it'll seem like everyone's out there. So, yeah. And I want to urge everyone that if you feel like it's not the time for you to go to the protest and you don't know how exactly to talk to your family members yet, then the thing that you should be doing is educating yourself in this moment. That's yes. right. Absolutely. Yes. And and the point uh, – sorry, the, the, the one point I want uh, – the other, the other point I wanted to make is if you're do- going down there to protest – Make sure that you're going to the rallies where people are speaking because that's how you can get educated and get fired up and know why you're down there. Because I go to the Justice Center every night, but I also go to the rallies and listen to people talk. I heard Joanne Hardesty come and talk to everyone for half an hour. and it She's was, on fire that night. It was so good. And then our friend Ty, who has been on here, she, she gave a speech the other day at the waterfront that was absolutely inspiring. And, you know, I mean, I've heard so much good stuff and it really gives me a, like a reason to be out there. And people are giving you free information that you don't deserve. And so, they pay, like, yeah. What's that? Well, yeah, and people aren't paying for that info. And I just want to do a plug um, because a lot of news stations aren't really reporting 
what's happening within the demonstrations, what people are saying. And I'm someone who's like, I don't really support this channel, but I will say the local Fox News is the only news that does not talk trash about the people in the demonstrations. Everybody it's else true. is just talking so much trash about them. And, and they're, they're the only folks who streamed Joanne's whole entire speech. You know, like no one else just streamed it down there. And I have it recorded. People want to get fired yeah. up. I'm happy to share the link that I have. Oh, that'd be great. Um, I have the video file. Yeah, just because I think, you know, it's knowing where you're getting the media and the information is important too. You know, and if you yeah. can't, because I know people can't make it down there, right? Like people can't. Yeah. But having access to the right news is really important. I love Coin6. I love KDW. And y'all can all do better. Yeah. Absolutely. I also challenge people to get in touch with some local protesters. So I've, I've been watching from home, but mm -hmm. I have like seven street yes. protesters yes. that are actually live streaming with like several backup batteries because even with Fox News and all of them, mm -hmm. even what Fox News is showing you isn't exactly always accurate. And not, but it's, it's, you have to, the, 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 the information trickles, you know, as it gets purified and watered down <laughs> through all the channels, it's really good to stay online and just really watch with these guys what they're seeing. Um, I stay home and coordinate rides for folks. If some kids don't have any food, I will send them money. I will, you know, I will go pick somebody up if I need to, which I haven't had to do yet. It is, yeah. It's just, that's just, a huge thing you can do for people. And I can do yeah. that from my bedroom because right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm afraid I will die. I will die if I go down there. Mm -hmm. I know it. I know I will. Um, or I will, or I will get caught up in something. I need to get caught up in. I carry a weapon and I'm not afraid of that. I got to conceal carry. I'm not leaving home without it, and you don't need a gun down there. Leave your guns at home. That's so right. how are we best? How are you best used? Just watching these live streams is is education as well, so you can see what these kids are going through. Because I've watched them talk about what's happening down there and be completely, it's the the complete opposite. Watching it all at the same time, yeah. you know. Right. It's um. Yeah. It's scary down to, there. You, you got to talk to people who have been there and, and or like get like find those sources online of what's going on, because, yeah, it's it. If you do a Google search, you get very different. This is a case where doing a Google search doesn't get you the information you're looking for, because all I mean, from going down there versus what I read about what happened is um, definitely a different point of view um, and a different lens, if nothing else, if not like pure like manipulation of information. Yeah, but, so. don't, but don't sit at home and complain about looting and complain about protesting. Oh, hell like, no. If you're yeah. going to sit at home and complain, I don't want to hear it. You're not at home. You're not in these streets. You're not watching anything. You're, you know, it's, it, it don't complain. It's like, you know, don't complain about politics if you're not going to vote. Yeah. So out of everything, I want everybody that's been protesting out there, I better not hear like nobody talking about Black Lives Matters and hands up, don't shoot, and I can't breathe and, and laying dead on, on bridges and shit. If you're not registered to vote, I don't want to hear it. That's I right. don't want to hear it because otherwise you're wasting all of our time. All of it. Yeah, it's true. One thing I have noticed, too, is that this movement has been affecting some change that people haven't seen from their voting, quite honestly. You know, not that anybody's fucking voting, <laughs> you know, but, you know, I mean, I've, you know, voted ever since I was 18. And it's like we saw the you know, the, 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 the school officers get removed within a few days of these protests happening. You know what I mean? Do you think we could have voted? You know, how long would it take to vote, like, make that and like, be a voting? Like, but years. it is important because 
voting is incredibly important, especially at the local level. And we can't have this motherfucker in the White House anymore. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah. yeah. And maybe for some of the newer, younger voters, like, it's just like, I'll, I feel like a lot of people don't vote because of the whole presidential thing. I say, at a bare minimum, at least vote local. Like, it, like Hell yeah. if you don't want to fill in the president box or write it, like, fi- like, those measure ballots are really, they really are important. That's right. Um, and it affects, like, immediate change in, yes. in, 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 our, in our city. So, like, I just want to see get, people getting more involved. Because we got to open up our city, you know. We got to get things going. And, and but how are we supposed to do that with these protests and people like COVID? Wrap up your face, cover your fa- cover your face, please. Like bring some hand sanitizer. Yeah. I'm really worried about people getting sick. I yeah, really am. And I, people are making. Uh, I've been hearing more and more about that down there. People be making sure. Someone made the point last night. If you're not wearing a mask, then you don't care about Black Lives. So. And I've been wearing an N95 down there for the last couple of days, partially because it helps with tear gas more than a cotton mask, but it does not stop it. Um, but mostly because I don't fucking want to get coronavirus. So, I mean, keep your face covered. And it's it's like 98% mask wearers there now, which is which is more than it was like the first couple of days I was there. It's People have really masked up, which is good to see. But, you know, it's a risk. It's a It's still a risk. And I love y'all, but we're not we're not breaking quarantine with y'all protesters. I'm just putting that out there right now. <laughs> if y'all been, I thank you so much for protesting. I need you indoors for 14 days before I even show up to your barbecue from across the yard. I appreciate. I don't want to go to the barbecue from across the yard. I I'll Facetime them, but no. <laughs> not my not in these streets. Thank you, yeah. but give me some space on that. Yeah. Um, I know there. I hear there's a lawsuit out for the city right now for yes. doing uh, the CS gas, which mm-hmm. is also you know the same as coughing tear gas, uh, which exacerbates conditions of COVID and makes people more susceptible to COVID. Uh, so you know, yes. hopefully the city isn't paying too many people for COVID nineteen potential exposure, oh but it might. Because have. let me tell you. Tear gas hurts your eyes, but you cannot breathe when you're in tear gas. That's the main part of tear gas. You call it tear gas, you're like, oh, it's going to make your eyes burn. If you're wearing goggles, it won't make your eyes burn, but you still won't be able to breathe. And it impacts like, everyone. Like, yeah. If you're and, someone and who's just locks, living above the demonstrators and you're in your apartment with the window open, you don't have AC, it's going to come into your apartment. Where do you go then? How do you shelter I, I was in driving place? away. You're on the yeah, street, dri- houseless. What do you do? Oh, man. Yeah, that's been... It's really, that's been a really, really sad part of the whole thing, too, is there are just people down there um, still living on the streets and um, while this is all happening. And also, then people walking their dog a block away from the thing that's happening. And I'll be like, hey, dude, it's just a police state only a block that way. Don't worry. It's you know, a police like, state, y'all. Like, dude, it's the protest. Going, like a white dude going for a jog through the park blocks while, like, the like black blocks moving through. You're like, what people are you People are, like, doing? driving through. So like, <laughs> how white do you have to I'm be? Like, Everyone's at the protest. Uh, yeah, I was like, you're at the gym, bro? I, was I, the I, protest. I found an empty gym. I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> I'm just living my best life in the gym while there's a pandemic and a fucking protest. Yeah. Just doing my part to stay pretty. And like <laughs> to stay healthy in these streets. Y'all I just man, I don't mind talking shit. I'm talking so much shit right now. I don't yeah. even use a lot of profanity on these podcasts, but I literally don't give a fuck anymore because I don't have the energy or the time. I'm tired of lip service. I've received and I hate the blanket statement this because I know we both we all know a lot of people in the arts. So I don't I mean 
there's going to be someone that thinks it's about them and it's really not. If this is about you, you trust me, I'll let you know. But I just, I, I just like, I don't want to create a lot of things right now. I just don't feel compelled to do it. I don't think now is the time. My, I want to be in my body, you know, just, you know, just being in my body for this work. And I'm, it's so out of body right now. And I, I just, I, I remember doing booty candy last year and I'm like, Nobody, you know, so many people didn't want to talk to me about, about doing black queer work. And now we're focusing black. We got to get you in here. We got a thing like, I, no, no, we don't. There's no trust. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Right. I want to make sure I'm, you know, it's like, it's black actors showing up for rehearsal. I, I can show up for rehearsal, but I have to be mentally and, and emotionally present for this work. Mm-hmm. Um, And there's just so much trauma right now. That we just, you know, I've been focusing on blackness right now um, as much as possible and just really trying to uplift my people that I'm connected with. So then we can we can grow something from that. I am doing working, considering some creative things right now, but only stuff that feels like it's 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 supposed to happen right now. You know what I mean? So do you want to talk about your time to sit? Do you want to talk about your documentary at all? Um, yeah, so, um, I, uh, have been directing a documentary called Genderfication, and it's through a 360 virtual reality, uh, medium, uh, through 360 Labs. My buddy Brad Gill is a queer, uh, filmographer and photographer, and he's part owner of this business. And, uh, he, uh, came up to me two years ago asking because the uh, last summer was the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. And, mm-hmm. and he said, well, what should we make? And I was like, well, if I was going to do something, I think we should center um, brown and black uh, POC voices um, within the trans, femme, and non-binary community so we can kind of lift those voices a bit if I can use my agency a little bit. So we've been working on that for about two years. We're in the final stages of it. I still need to record one more segment of me being in it, but then COVID happened and it just kind of derailed everything. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, so- do you, wear, do, you do you like, like use like the, the Oculus, Oculus Rift type glasses or whatever, like a 3D, like a 3D goggles, goggles to experience, to experience it, or? it? Or yeah, so there, um, it's kind of it's kind of like a little cone, like a little tiny cone. I'm holding up a big old pot oh. container right now, <laughs> and so it's like a little cone with cameras, uh, four sided cameras, and we'll like sit it. I'll sit it next to me like a person, and then we'll have a conversation like they're in the perspective of it. Yeah. yeah. So it's usually a stationary device. There's um, several different types of ways to do it. We're, I mean, we've been talking about possibly doing 360 VR theater, and we're, tr- we're having talks about what that looks like, and yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm still uncertain about that. But there's different methods for having a, an artist move through the space with you yeah. in yeah. some kind of way. So we're we're making this up as we go. So sure. yeah, um, that's, yeah, cool. that's cool. What's great about it is we've had some great subjects on the show who are really good friends of mine. Um, that I was like, Hey, I hate to do this, but can we talk about what it means to be you? You know, um, there's no money for this thing. I did, I'm not getting paid. Brad's not making a profit off of this. Um, but I still went, I mean, I, I paid all of them out of my pocket, um, to talk to us cause I just thought that was the right thing to do. Um, and that was, that was, it was kind of tight. It was tight, you know, but it's just like, I was thinking to myself, like, why can't I ask for support for that? <laughs> you know, and with what's happening right now um i just really wanted to when people share their pain with with you uh, we just have to create some space for that and compensate them for that because even with the work that even darren and i both do i mean we do this professionally we're trained to do it we've been doing it for a while we're still showing up black 
You know, yeah, like I, you day. know, I just like, can I call in black today? I've had more opportunities to do that in the past three weeks. Um, I thought about saying, Hey, I'm not coming to work. I'm just, I'm black today. And I, I can't, I can't do it. And then there's the days where I'm black and queer. So like, you know, um, I just, I just, I, I wanted to create a space in this documentary where people can really talk about, yes, we're trans, we're queer, we're non-binary, we're, 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 we're thin and tr- like, but yes, and this is what this looks like. And, and from my perspective, living under this umbrella where, you know, the queers are taken care of, but not all of us are taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, there's layers of that that trickles down. Um, it's been really good so far. Um, working with folks and, and sharing these interesting perspectives. Um, and w- w- I think what I like the most about a 360 VR environment is um, the focus is... I'm always looking at the space before we even do the interview. So, so what yeah. space do you like? Because you can literally be in a space and just like look around at the entire space around. So I'm all, it's like, so what? So I'm, I'm centering the environments that they're in um, as it relates to how they feel comfortable talking about themselves. So that's been really interesting as well, figuring out what that looks like. So um, it's an interesting medium. So I'm excited to see how this turns out and see if people enjoy it. I think we'll wait until a lot of the protest stuff dies down before we really promote it um, here pretty soon. So I'll let you know. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. This seems like a good place to take a break. We'll come back. We'll do headlines. We'll finish up with a few plugs and then we'll be done. Welcome back. It's time for headlines. Headlines, headlines. We all love headlines. Yes. So this is the part of the show where we read a headline and we just want to hear your reaction to the headline. So that can be whatever whatever just comes to you naturally. Yes. All right. So headline is, this is from KGW in Portland. Uh, Mayor Wheeler, Mayor Ted Wheeler, Tells Portland police to only uh, to use tear gas only if lives are threatened, um, and that was from June sixth. Um, and then I would just like to point out that the sub headline to this, what's that? Uh, yes, yesterday, <laughs> that it was yesterday. Um, so he said that, um, and then it says Mayor Ted Wheeler has directed the Portland police only to use tear gas if quote a serious and immediate threat to life safety arises, which sounds to me different than lives being threatened um, and is nebulous. Because when I was down there on the 6th, after he said that that afternoon, I am 
almost positive the first thing they used was CS gas uh, against the protesters when they used munitions around. Um, I, I I couldn't tell you well, what time, but I, at night. I want to I want to be correct. I mean, he said on the fifth that the and when he showed up in his street clothes to the demonstration that there would not mm-hmm. be CS gas used at night. And so now again, I guess yesterday he said. See, at first he says, we're not going to use CS gas, and now he's saying, we're only going to use lives we threatened. Whose lives we threatened? My life is threatened when you use CS gas. That's right. Right? So, like, let's really think about who's at stake, and if it's the police, maybe that's why people are getting upset. Maybe the people have asked you to not use the gas. Maybe you need to do more as the commissioner of the police, and I love, you know, Chief Jamie, she's doing the best she can. You know, uh, Chief Outlaw, she's gone. You know, and uh, I just want to say there's a lot more that Ted can do. And so I just feel like pretending that the police are not abusing people and not abusing their power. Because um, who decides that someone's life is at stake, right? Exactly. Who decides? Yeah. Who is the decision maker and, there? And who decides that event is peaceful or not? It's the police right? deciding. And, and uh, or it's uh, the police commissioner, right? Which is Ted Wheeler. Like, who is it? Because I really want to know. Because I can hold someone accountable. Because I feel like there's no accountability right now. He is the police commissioner, but he has it. I mean, he just, I saw the video of him walking up. He looked like, he, lo- he looked a lot like a guy who just took his, he took his, he, he was hiding in the crowd. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, yeah, I was like, I, who was can that? I come? Can I show up? Is this okay? Can I be here? I'm like, you should have been out there. I know his mom is ill. Yeah, but you're running a city. I'm and sorry. And you're still the mayor. I'm like, I feel um, for you. I feel for even your family. They, they should have been out there last weekend. Somebody, mm-hmm. somebody should have been out there. I'm yeah. surprised that, you know, it's not just at the mayor level, too, right? Like, there's an entire government, right? Like, I, I want to say, yes. appreciate Governor Brown. I voted for you. Also, um, where are you in the That's right. administration? Uh, she's saying a lot online. Them? Yeah, finally but you're saying not, Black Lives Matter is on your Twitter. But she's not showing up. But where are you? You know, right. and I just want to say, it's one thing to talk about it, but, hey, at least Ted came out and got his ass handed to him. Like in front of a thousand people, thousands of people. Yeah. And you know what? If you know, there's an example. Don't lie to people, right? Don't tell them they're not going right. to get gas when the gas still comes out at night. Um, right. I mean, they're innocent people. They're homeless people. They're people who are just apparently out walking their dogs. So they don't know protests are going on, and they're probably getting gas too. And they need to know all of us are going to vote. We're yeah. all voting. And I would be surprised if a special election isn't called for a re-election of the mayor. So I'm just being honest. <laughs> it's high time. Yeah. It's time. Now, people have been speaking real loud, and if you have an entire city asking for a special election of a new mayor, see what happens. Because they're showing up every day for Black Lives, think they won't ask for a new mayor. We can get Teresa yeah. Rayford in early. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like what? You know? It's it's just it's just. A, I just I was like, where are they at? Like. Who are we talking to? I don't know if it was true or not, but I heard that like they were out there talking to protesters a couple nights ago, and a couple of the guys that were talking to police were actually undercover police officers. Mm-hmm. That were that were like you know they're they're black and they were dressed a certain way and they looked like they you know I saw the pictures of them even and then I saw the actual video because I was watching it live. I'm like, why aren't people? There should mm-hmm. be a clear line. This is where we are. This is the destination. Mm-hmm. There should be a clear, there should be a clear line of sight to it, mm-hmm. and a lot, and that that line of sight is through dialogue and having transparent conversations about this stuff. 
if you, I was talking about this last night, actually, about how the police are responding with tear gas and responding with all this, all this other stuff, instead of being proactive about saying, admitting that there's a problem and saying, well, what can we do? It's a really easy mental shit, like social, mental, whatever shift of saying, okay, this hasn't been working. What would you, how, how can we best serve it? How can we best serve you guys? And actually have a serious yeah. conversation about it. And you and, know, and there's it, been a lot of people who've been doing a lot of work over the past, like, decade of protesting that's been going on, who, it's, it's funny because we're at this point where I feel like the moment is going to meet the data. So, you know, it's, there's a lot of people asking, what do we do, what do we do? Well, there's a lot of people, and you know, I know, like, Van Jones on a kind of macro level is a person who does this work. But, like, there's a lot of people who've been investigating how to de-escalate tension between the police and the community. There's a lot of people who've been writing about it, publishing books about it, and have tons of solutions. So I think what we're going to be calling for in this year's elections are seeing those policies come to, uh, to life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, or, or we're going to vote against you. I mean, that's what it is. We're, we're not, we don't want promises anymore. We want to see the policy pass, and then we'll decide if we want to keep you around. That's where we are. I just posted on my Facebook on a public post that if I voted for you and you have not proclaimed Black Lives Matter, you haven't gone out or you haven't gone out in demonstrations or you haven't done anything in your position to actually move the work forward and make transformative change, I will make sure you're not reelected and I'm not alone, right? Because it's, mm-hmm. it's ti- people are tired of this, you know, and I feel like the biggest message I want folks to know is y'all need to go out and vote for folks who are doing the right work and uh, move the message from the black folks who are in the front of this effort, right? Like, you need to listen to black folks. I go online, I see organizations like Basic Rec Oregon, they have their whole candidate page, right? You can look at all the candidates that are endorsed by them. I'm, you know, I would love to have a, a candidate page for just like people who support the Black Lives Matter movement in Portland. Um, and I don't I don't feel like black folks need to create that. I would love for some white folks to create that for us to teach other white folks to vote. And you know, that would be a great resource. Like which candidates have said I support Black Lives Matter and show up. Yeah. Because if you haven't gone out there, you haven't proven to the people that you're for the people and hearing what they're saying, you probably going to get 86, which is a term to be like you off the menu, you're gone. Yeah. We're out of it. I'm sorry we got all wrapped up in this one headline here. Well, no, and I think it needs to be promoted to the level where we can, as uh, POC, black, (laughs) and white people, all stand in solidarity to say, this person who doesn't support Black Lives Matter won't get our vote. So right. it's not just black people yeah. voting against this person. It's black people. It's white people. It's, it's other people, people of color. Right? And, and it's not that I'm saying that um, you know, I'm against white people or anything. I'm just saying that like, if this yeah. any candidate hasn't said black lives matter, you don't get the basics of this movement. Yeah. And that is the whole purpose. And I know the white folks who are going to be voting out there who know black lives matter, they know who said it and who hasn't. And yeah. there are plenty of people of color out there who know too that some people just don't do the work they say they're going to do. Um, and I just want to employ everyone who's got that decision-making power to check the right box. But I also feel like there's some level of acknowledgement, some, some level of, um, like, when you, you acknowledge that you have work to do. There, that, I think that's mm-hmm. a powerful thing as well. So mm-hmm. I think that people, some people want to do so much 
that it, we call it lip service. And a lot of times, even though you want to do something, the best thing you can do is, once again, I've said it several times, be critical of yourselves, restructure. If you don't have a clear message for what this means to you, that means you haven't done the work. So just say that you're committed to doing the work and then hiring some people of color to come in. uh, Well, well, hiring, hiring, hiring folks to come in and help with EDI work. If they happen to be POC businesses, please support those because they're, they're ready and willing to do that work and actually being critical of yourselves. That way you're ready to receive us once, once you're actually ready to put the signs on a window. If you've got a black lives matter sign in your window, I should be able to walk into your business and ask anyone that works there, what that means to them. Because if they yeah. don't know mm-hmm. that, it's lip service. How many yeah. black people do folks know? That's my question. How many? <laughs> These Black Lives Matter oh, signs, do you there. have any black friends? Oh my Anyways, God. just like... Have you invited them over to dinner, your black friends? Do they know Do they know your eating habits? Like, what does that look like? You know what I mean? Yeah. All right, next headline. Wow, that was the first one. <laughs> I know, that got heated already. Just don't worry, one. this is a quick section. <laughs> KG, you got us. Um... Sesame Street and CNN host a town hall for families to talk about racism. Um, you know, the children's show aired a town hall special on CNN Saturday to help young children understand what the protests are um, and why they exist and why people are joining them right now. So I watch a little bit of this. I watched Elmo. What did he have to say? Because he be talking a lot on the internet these days. <laughs> Well, you know, it's really I funny. I got a brand. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think if you have young kids, definitely find these videos and show it to them. Um, they, it, I think it's a, I think it's really important to to talk to your young children, five years old, you know, about racism and about what's happening in the world. And I think Sesame Street is actually doing us all a great service by giving us a piece of content that you can start the conversation. Um, uh, there's a lot of studies, and I, you know, I can't quote exactly on this, but I know that there's a lot of studies that show that um, if you don't diversify your kid by like the age of five or something like that, if you don't put them in diverse situations, they start they they start to learn um, behavior that uh, makes it hard for them to communicate with people of color over time. So there's mm-hmm. this, there's a lot of work that shows that you gotta. You got to get your, your kid into spaces that are diverse early, really early. You got to talk to them about race really early because it, after a while, I want to say like after eight, it becomes really hard to talk to them. And then they're in their mid-40s in parks calling the police on black men. Yeah. Uh, or chasing them with guns. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Like, teach them early. That made me so mad. Teach them early. It's like, well, she was, you know, I, I, there was some person of color who's running for something. Oh, I cannot remember who you are running for some kind of um, official position here trying to defend this woman with her dog. And I'm like, okay, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to call the police and tell them a black man is attacking me. I, I, oh. that, she, no, that, that was her that threat. That was her threat. Her prep. <laughs> To the call, I'm gonna let them know the assassination attempts. I'm gonna let them know a Negro, <laughs> you know what I mean? Not just any kind of American. Like that shit is taught early on. Like you know that that level of like, come on now. Like I I'm an, a huge advocate for educating kids early. I love that's what I love about kids theater too. When I did, I've done two yeah. kids shows now. It's important for kids to see uh, people that look like them reflected in the stories being told. 
even outside of these protests and stuff, like moving forward, like arts organizations are suffering right now. We, we can't have people inside of places, but once we regroup for those that are theater listeners or theater watchers, like where are we allocating these funds? You know, yeah. these mm-hmm. arts organizations that have not been very equitable to, to many of us, like I'm done working with them. And we're at a point where we can walk away from gigs right now. I can walk I can walk away scot free and do what the fuck I want. That's right. Start my own shit if I want to. We want to be building we have to build these relationships in an organic way that doesn't feel forced and allows us to, to teach our children how to take take over this. I mean, look at look at where we're leaving them right now. Look at where we're at yeah. right now. This is crazy. You don't want to leave this isn't the legacy we want for our kids, no matter what color they are. I just started teaching at a school um, recently, which is strange because of all this, <laughs> but um, uh, they've been having some, over the past week or two, some conversations about how we can approach kids about race, and I've been just starting to look into some of the resources they've shared, but they're having a parade at the school today, a Black Lives Matter parade at the school today, this afternoon, and so I'm totally going to go down there. Like, I'm That's very excited. awesome. Yeah, because we also we haven't gotten to see most of these kids because we've just been, you know, it's been, we've all been home learning, and so it'll be cool to see what that's going to look like. <clears throat> but yes, no, it's it's, but it's but it, it's tough because at that school, it's there aren't a lot of black kids there, and it's a big problem. You know what I mean? Because no matter what you say, if you don't have kids like diverse student body you're not going to know how to actually you know be able to 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 communicate and i i mean i i went to a like a diverse public school growing up which helped me to a certain extent but then i was in a white school for a very very long time and it made it really hard you know um so it um yeah it's it's like we we have to make sure we're you know telling these kids from the beginning as much as we can, but it really does come to like exposure of different people and different ideas and, and we, different different cultures. Yeah, and we we don't have to water it down for them too much. Kids are really smart, right? They're like yeah. like even that young, like even just doing kids theater, like watching the way they process the text and like it's like the way they got the jokes and like these kids are so smart. They're not stupid. Yeah, like, even before they can even talk, they know when things aren't right in the home. So I worry about child abuse right now. Like there's like the. Child abuse reporting has gone down significantly because they're not in school. Like, you know, right. A lot of teachers are catching that. People are getting divorced. You know, I you know I worry about this stuff because we want them engaging as early as possible, like as early as human as, as remotely possible, and um, I'm, I'm that's why I'm a huge advocate of doing as much black black work as I can. I loved doing kids theater. I've literally seen kids. And look them in the eye and know and know, and have known that I'm, I'm the first black person they've seen, uh, especially a little black kid. You can tell when they see that it's it's a it's a wrinkle in their head. Um, yeah, I want to say that it, it, especially right now in this moment, if you are in a, an institution that um, is a predominantly white institution, that should be a clue or that should be a hint that you should probably diversify your staff more. Yeah. And what that will do is it'll give even the kids who are white kids an, an experience with um, black people in positions of power. Right. And especially right. at young ages, that's going to be really, really important for their development. Yeah. My, one of my biggest pet peeves, which I rarely get to talk about, is like 
they're still reading Uncle Tom's Cabin in grade school. Right. You know? Um, and I'm just like, I, why? I don't understand. Like, it baffles me how many class I was. I I did Dutchman a couple years ago, and I was good. asked to talk to kids about racist language and text, and you know, there's a difference between reading in a book and reading the scripts. A whole other uh, way sure. of look, uh, processing information. And I was surprised at how many predominantly white classrooms I was in, with uh, a minimal number of black kids, and they're just reading it out loud. You know, well, they have to learn about history. I was like, I'm going to tell you that black children know that they're black at a very early age. Mm -hmm. By by the time a black child is able to even stand up on their own two feet, I guarantee you their parents have taught them what it means to be a black child walking around police officers. I got to talk. I got to talk early. They teach it to all of us. We don't need to read Huckleberry's, uh, whatever the fuck, what was Uncle Tom's Cabin? In grade schools, we don't need to hear white children reading that out loud. That's assimilation. Mm-hmm. Educate yourselves, and yeah. that's in the curriculum across America. And at yeah. least if you've got black kids in your in your in your school, if you're going to read it out loud, at least allow the black kids to go to the library if they want to, so they don't have to hear white kids reading reading the N word all day long. It's or traumatic. if you're going to read it, if you're going to read it, read it in the same curriculum as Michelle Alexander, or read in the same right. curriculum as James Baldwin and, and reading the same and, and then also be reading um, Frederick Douglass or, yeah. or, you know, I mean, like you can't yeah. you can't just say let's just read Mark Twain, but not read all of the black writers of <laughs> this period, and, you know, or, or yeah, right. if the writers are right, white, then you're you're you know, you're you're pushing this white supremacist movement of like like you're telling us how to tell our own stories even still. Yeah. I'm sorry, I cut you off, Cliff. No, no, thank you. I, I, I think that, that there's something real about the the reading the N word out loud thing is like that, that 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 they won't let you do like they wouldn't let that happen in fucking like high school or college. So like, why are you gonna like have an eight year old doing it? And I remember when I was in like seventh grade, one teacher who was like the laziest teacher I've ever had, swear. Um, had us just watch like the entire root series and then just have an open discussion about what happened as seventh graders. <laughs> ah, no, a white guy. Sir. Okay. I would get that up was, and that leave. was, that was like a month or two of class and he would just like open it up. And there were some discussions that happened that were good, but like also like most of it very bad. And like it was, he left it up to us to decide whether we wanted to use the n-word in discussion talking about the word and it was a predominantly white class so we're like sure you know it was up to like a vote you know and so it's it's just like like, no 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 go ahead no i just appreciate you bringing up that story because it's like why are white folks making this decision when we right. all know we're not supposed to be using it, right? Yeah, and then you get to karaoke, man, and it all fucking falls. You know that. And then, then you have this idea that you're allowed to read it out loud, right? And it goes into that, you know, conversation where, like, I don't know. It's like I have friends who are like, oh, you know, I replace the word, I do a word switch, and I'm like, mm-hmm, no. When we're around, and I'm like, but I know all y'all be bumping it in your car, listening <laughs> to Cardi B or whoever, um, drunken love Beyonce. And just like, it's just a wild idea, but I definitely want to just go back to the headline and just really (laughs) hone it in where I think I am so proud to be in a time in the world in which 
um, national networks are asking white parents to force their children to talk about race. Because yeah. really, I want to hone in on what James said. Like, I was going to bring this up. Like, yeah, I've had that talk. My parents be like, just so you know, you a nigga out there. And people going to see you like that, right? Because I don't think any white parents are like, hey, did you know you're white? You're, you know, you're a white person, and right. I just want to let you know um, that sometimes you're going to go in the world, and people are not going to follow you around the store. They're not going to um, ask you uh, questions about, um, you know, your family. Where are you really from? They're not going to ask you how come you speak so well or things like that. Uh, you're just going to have an experience where you don't have these interactions. And I think having a early interjection for people to really learn what, like, race looks like to other people because folks who tell me they don't see my color are really ignorant and i'm over that please don't ever tell me that because that's not my life right that's not my yeah. life my color is on me all the time everybody else sees it and just because you have a fantasy it's not my fantasy and i just want to hold that truth like if you don't see people's color you need to relearn that everyone who is a colored person knows that and i just want to hold that true and i'm happy that sesame street is allowing you know, these children and maybe ask their parents, like, mom, how come you don't have any black friends? Right? Like, I'm just being real. Like, where are your black friends, mom? Because you, you you went out to the march, but I don't see your black friends. And I think, yeah. like, little kids will come with real honest questions. Yeah. And yeah. those parents will have to unpack their own racism. Yeah. And it's okay to say racism. And it's okay yeah. to say, I'm a racist and I didn't know. Mom, why right? don't we have hot sauce? It's okay, mom. That's you can a- be a racist and not know, but you need to own it and not pretend that it doesn't exist. Like, you pretend that my color, you don't see it. Like, it's yeah. real. And, and Mom, I just, why don't we have cooking grease in the house? That's mm-hmm. such a Mom, good we've point. never had fried I'm chicken. Serious. If you educate Mom, your, your kids, they'll start to hold I, you accountable. I see so many <laughs> right. fried chicken places where I'm like, there are no black people here. It's just white folks. And I'm like, what is going on? Uh, yeah. And then it's like, uh, the stereotype is black people love fried chicken. But and all I'm the black like, folks are here, so it must be good chicken. I guess. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Shout out to Alberta Street Market. Yeah, I love Alberta. Alberta. Yes, yes. Crack oh chicken. my god, that chicken be on. I went the other day looking for some. This shit is empty. Where them JoJo's at? Where them JoJo's at, y'all? Is there another headline? Well, I just wanted to. I wanted to just say um, that maybe what this can inspire is just how young black children have, um, you know, like I was saying earlier, this oral tradition that passes through our community. So young black children are raised to understand their place in the world and understand their relationship with the police officers. Maybe now we can start conversations in all white households where at young ages you can have a conversation about um, white privilege and understanding um, what that means in our world and how to use your white privilege to benefit people who are who look different than you. Um, yeah. And if that can start happening, you know, around age five and age eight, we can start to see really dramatic changes as opposed to waiting until, you know, you get to college and all of a sudden you're being radicalized. And I also wanted to make a point, um, going back to what you were saying earlier about uh, safety, child safety right now. I have been seeing these cases online where you know, mostly women, but um, young white women, probably ages 17 to 21, are coming to terms with the fact that their parents are just on the other side of this issue. 
and they're you know they're being radicalized in their in, you know probably freshman year sophomore year they're in college or you know high school i mean the gen z years they're really taking arms in this movement but they're understanding that their parents just can't see what they see and so there's a really big disconnect be generationally right now and I, and i worry about child abuse there too because i know that there's a culture that exists where parents of uh, conservative households will hide their children's ballots they'll um i know wow. that there's a culture that exists of you have to vote the way i vote in this house they'll just fill out your ballot for you yeah. and now people are stuck at home more because of covid and like people who would have moved out adults who would be now like if they wanted to be out of their house or you know they, they just like even can't can't do it because no one can move on and we need to speak truth to power for these types of people because we need to let our family members know that their children should be allowed to vote the way that they feel inclined to vote. And we need to let our family members know that just because they have a certain point of view doesn't mean that everyone needs to have their point of view, right? I mean, because that's what they're trying to say for us right now. But what we do need to do is respect humanity. So we, you know, we can't be violent towards people I and mean, we can't have our police forces being violent towards people. And that's just common sense. Mm -hmm. Just on the point of violence, one thing that's been brought up in the movement a lot lately is the difference between um, a peaceful protest and a nonviolent resistance, and the idea that being peaceful is agreeing with the police and do, agreeing to do what they tell you to do. And the nature of what we're doing in the streets is not peaceful. We are disturbing the peace, but we do not have to be violent within disturbing the peace. It's two different things. And so... Um, so that's been something that's been brought up a lot, and I just wanted to speak that out because I hadn't gotten that up, and it, it's it's been it's helped me a lot in understanding what's going on down there. I mean, that's essential. That goes back to Gandhi with the difference between being peaceful and being nonviolent. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's why yeah, we got to know our history. And you know, I want to just uplift that I'm not like a religious person, but I saw a Instagram the other day. For all the religious folks out there, about I think it's it's in the Book of John, where Jesus goes. There's like a flock of sheep, and there's a hundred sheep, I guess. And so one of these sheep goes missing, right? And Jesus is like, "I'm gonna leave. I gotta go find this sheep." And all the other sheep are just like, "Why are you going for the sheep?" And it's like, "Because you're one of the sheep, right?" It's like, like it's not just, and it's not so much where. And it was really an, an interesting analogy because it was folks who care about, you know, the All Lives Matter movement when you don't understand the concept of Black Lives Matter, mm. right? Because all lives don't matter if black lives don't. And that's the analogy this really interesting, like, very Christian man was making online where it's like Jesus was going for his one sheep, right? Because all of the sheep matter. It's not just one. And he's not saying all lives matter, right? He's like, this sheep matters, right? Because it matters, <laughs> too, you know? And I feel like the folks yeah. who get all in the lost rhetoric of the Black Lives, All Lives Matter movement, if you can't say all lives matter or Black Lives Matter, you don't understand the concept of all lives matter. Yeah. And I just want to uplift that um, analogy. While we're on, like, Gandhi and whatnot, I was just like, hey, let's bring up uh, some Jesus reference for folks who are really needing to, to know that you know, the good Lord supports black lives. So you should think about it too. That's great. And let's use that to segue into plugs so we can give these people some resources. Um, go ahead. You want to go first? first? Yeah, I was going to just say that I'd like, I want to, to plug uh, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. 
I want to plug a list of resources for the movement that's happening right now. So if you want to know more about what's going on or if you want to make a donation to an organization, you can donate to Black Lives Matter PDX, the Black Resilience Fund, Don't Shoot PDX, and Campaign Zero. And you can also donate to the Northwest Community Bail Fund, the Bail Project, National Bailout. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that people knew that that's uh, some resources that are available to them to get educated, but also to get involved. Yes. Um, uh, also, a place for resources is your Multnomah County Library. Um, you can go. Uh, they have an app for getting audio books and also ebooks. So, like, you can read them on your um, tablets or whatever. Um, since the libraries still aren't open, and they have a great reading list at the top of their website, um, an anti-racist reading list. They have unlimited copies of *Me and White Supremacy* by Layla F. Sad, and um, yeah, so it's there. That's great. They also, through them, you can get a subscription to Canopy, which is a video streaming service similar to Netflix, and you can get um, ten free views a month through that. Just having a library card. And that, uh, I'm looking at their page right now, and their top two featured uh, lines are, um, you know, uh, there's one, there's social and systemic injustice that's all about uh, pretty much, you know, Black Lives Matter type related content, and then another one, LGBTQ history, um, with a lot of great titles. That streaming service is really great. It's um, non-mainstream for the most part. Uh, the stuff that is mainstream is the good stuff. I mean, like, I watched Moonlight on there um, for free, so... It's, it's free to everybody, and I highly recommend it. It's all through the library. So do that, and um, yes, show up, speak out. And I want to do a plug for a really great resource I found called Google. It's really yes. great in just asking it a question. It doesn't judge you. Um, like, what is white supremacy? It really has a lot of resources. You can't trust all of the things it provides. But uh, the top ones are probably the ones that have the most accurate information right now. Uh, and then just saying, uh, I, not, I know that everyone's not on the social media, but we all have networks, we all have friends, we all have people we trust, um, we all have people that we know are knowledgeable. Just, uh, you know, if you have um, other allies in the movement who you know are doing it right, why don't you reach out to those allies? You know, don't always reach out to people of color when there are folks you know right. who are doing the work that needs to have happen. Um, and I want to say the Black Lives Matter movement website has a great series of podcasts like this that are offering m even more kind of conversations on the, you know, movement from the heart. So I just want to, you know, uplift all of the resources in that way. Great. Um, you guys have pretty much covered most of the things I, I would probably talk <laughs> about. I will say that I think one of the most important things people can do is just like, you can't just tune out of it. Some of us don't get to tune out. So, like, you know, even if you can't be out there protesting, I mean, even if you have your friend, if you have a close friend that's out there protesting, you know, ask them to make sure, you know, make sure they've got your number. Um, they're going to want to write their number on your on, on your body, you know, so on their body. So if they get arrested, they, 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 can, they can call, be there for them, track where they're at. Let them be on a live stream. Just watch what's happening while they're there because a lot of, what's happening on a live stream is way more factual than any information you're ever going to get. So, um, yeah. And, uh, if you want to get bailed out of jail, uh, at, from a protest, the number to call is three, two, three, 
366-0799. If you go to a protest where you think you have a chance of being arrested, write that on your arm, and you can call that number, and they will bail you out. Um, 323-366-0799. Now, that was just written on me last night. I want to, I, like, let me just make sure, and we'll cut it out if it's not right, but, um, I'm going to, I'm going to research it for sure before, you know, we put this out, but that, um, there are bail funds that will bail you out of jail. So learn their numbers and write them on yourself before you go to a protest. Yeah. Write them on yourself twice. Cause the one, the first location might get rubbed out by sweat or in That's a right. with the cops. It happens all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. Make sure your emergency contacts are also in your wallet. Yep. Um, I, I think it was tonight. I'm pretty sure it's tonight cause there's a protest tonight, right? Um, Portland Center Stage is opening their doors to any um, protesters that might need a place to use the restroom, grab some water, whatnot. Uh, they're located on Northwest 11th and Cooch, I believe, in the Pearl. Yeah, between Davis and Cooch. Between think, Davis right? and Cooch. And then also Shaking the Tree um, has oh, opened good. their doors the same as well. And they're off of Southeast 12th and Grant, I believe. Grant, right? yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. 8th and Grant. 8th and Grant. 8th and Grant. It's a warehouse-looking space, um, but you'll see it. Um, yeah. And shout-out yeah, to so those institutions for getting involved. Yeah, that's so really I, nice of them to do that, um, seeing people stepping up um, and just... You can donate to them, do it. Yeah, if you can donate money to these organizations, great, because they don't have any resources. They've had to uh, cancel their season. Um, PCS definitely has more access to wealth, but, you know, it's still, they're a nonprofit like any other, and anything you guys can do to support them, as well as these, these protesters that are live streaming, a lot of times they put their Venmos down. $10 goes a long way when some of these kids, I met a guy, his name is Soul Luna, he does, he live streams, I think he's changed his name now because he's gotten so popular, he has like 3,000 people on there. And he talks about having a five-year-old son at home and a, and a baby on the way. And, 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 and he's out there fighting for his kids. He's like, I got kids. I got no money. I'm an artist. I don't have unemployment. Like, you don't have to pay me. But if you want to drop some dollars on this, great. And he's out there five hours live streaming for five hours straight until he goes home. I've seen this kid get gassed. I've seen this kid. I've seen grenades go, go off by this kid. I've seen this kid get hit with rubber bullets. And he's still out there every day um when you decide that you want to stay at home so that is one of the best plugs of all out of all these nonprofits, give these kids money directly ten dollars goes a long way five dollars goes a long way they're all fighting for our freedom so the least we could do is buy them a beer yeah you know a joint whatever a kid needs yeah great um so i just want to say thank you so much for you for coming on and having this awesome conversation with us and um i really appreciate it uh, it's it's really good to talk to people about this stuff at this level who I feel comfortable having this conversation with. And so I, you were the first person that came to mind, James, and I just wanted to, you know, just shout you out as well because uh, you've been a powerful leader in this community for a long time, and it's just great to to be working with you. Well, thanks for having me. I, I didn't, I definitely did not wish to be one or ask to be <laughs> anything more than I than just me, but, you know, People have to step up, so I'm doing what I can and taking care of myself. Sometimes I answer my phone, sometimes I don't, and that's just the way it is right now. So, um, we got to keep breathing and we got to keep pushing forward. So, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And Darian, thanks for lending your experience and expertise on this subject because it's very, very valuable. And thank you so much.
both yeah. of you. Yes. I'm excited to be able to participate in more conversations like this. So I appreciate, you know, the additional invitation extension and you know, I'm excited to see um, next steps and um, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. As always, you can find the full catalog of the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud. If you have questions or would like to reach out, feel free to reach out to our email, which is radicallisteningpodcast at gmail.com, or visit the Coho Theater website for more information. And thanks for listening.